passage for you before we celebrate communion together. It's a little bit longer, but just think it's important for us to get the whole context. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says this in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I fear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's something really, really cool about communion. And the cool thing about it, well, there's many cool things, but one of the cool things about communion is that at this table, you know, it's not white, black, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat. Um, it's just Jesus. There's, there's, a, there's a glue, there's a, there's a unity here, I guess, that's really special and sacred because your sins, you come to heaven, you come to God the same way that I come to God. All of us started off as sinners. That's how we were born. All of us were on our way to hell, every one of us. That, that was our nature. Christ, I've received his forgiveness and his cleansing. And if you've come to Christ, you've been forgiven and cleansed. So now you and I share this incredibly intimate bond. We've got this thing between us, this glue that binds us together. It's called Jesus. You love Jesus, I love Jesus, we love Jesus together. So we come to this table, and it brings us together in the name of so I invite you to join us. You don't have to be a member of New River Church to partake of this communion. You just need to be a member of Christ's body. You need to have first accepted Jesus as your Savior, receive him as your Lord. And then, my friend, you can join us here. We can share this meal together and celebrate the one who set us free. If you've never received Jesus, I would invite you to make this the first time. Receive this bread as a step of faith this morning. Say, Jesus, I trust you. I receive you as my Savior today. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to make me right with yourself. Friends, I can't think of any better way to start off 2015 than that. How about it? So if you've not yet
want to thank you for the sacrifice that you made, Jesus, in order to make me right. Because, Jesus, I was the one that blew it. I was the one that broke this relationship. And you were the one that healed it. And I thank you. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your cleansing. And thank you, Jesus, for the fresh start that we get in you. And so, Jesus, it's with gratitude that we eat this bread this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. supper, Jesus took the cup, and he said, uh, he declared this cup as a new covenant, represents a new covenant, a, a new promise. The old covenant depended upon you and me uh, doing everything properly, and uh, you and I don't have the ability to maintain that. The new covenant depends completely upon Jesus, his sacrifice, his death, that brings forgiveness to so my faith is not dependent upon my good works, my ability to fulfill all of God's laws. My faith depends upon the goodness and the strength of Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of his sacrifice on the cross to deal with my sin problem and make me right with God. So you hold this cup this morning. Say thank you. Say thank you to Jesus for the price that he paid
Jesus that you would do what you did. The Bible tells us that you demonstrate your own love for us. And this, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. You didn't wait for me to clean up my act in order to die for me. You didn't wait for me to prove my love to you before you gave your love to me. You loved me before I ever knew you. I thank you, Jesus, for that. I thank you, Lord, for extending your hand of forgiveness towards me when I was still your enemy, living opposed to you. I thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness and for your cleansing, and I thank you for the privilege that I have to be a part of your family, to be considered your little brother, Jesus, is a gift beyond compare. I thank you. And Lord, I recognize today that every blessing that I enjoy hand and it comes ultimately Jesus through the cross. You, you died to make it happen. And I thank you. So Lord, today we celebrate you, Jesus. We celebrate you. We thank you. Let's pray. Let's pray this morning as especially this morning for the Denfeld family. Many of you know, some of you know Derek Denfeld. Derek was a young guy that uh, kind of grew up in our youth group. He was back when Diego was our youth pastor, and Derek was part of the junior high youth group and came through high school and all. And, uh, Derek passed away earlier that same New Year's Day. And at 25 years old, very suddenly. So we want to be praying for Derek, or for his family, rather, and uh, it's a tough time for them, praying that uh, Jesus comes back on board, and that they know his peace, and then we also want to be praying for our sister Stacy, who had surgery on Friday, and she's got some, she had nasal surgery, and she experiences some blurred vision, some weird things that we're not so sure about. Let's just take her to the Lord and ask for God to protect her and heal her as well, okay? And we want to be sure we pray for our brother Caleb, Pastor Caleb, who's pastoring the church, the Bright Day Church in Kenya, working with the orphans there. And Caleb is fighting stage three colon cancer. And, uh, you know, that's hard to fight here with our medicine, let alone in the developing world with their lack of medicine. So we're asking God to So Lord, this morning, I want to pray for Derek's family. We would ask, Lord, that you would blanket this home with your peace, with your presence as they mourn Derek's sudden death, unexpected. God, I remember the day when Derek prayed to receive you as a savior in New York City on that little mission trip they did. also want to pray for our brother Caleb and ask that you would heal him from this cancer. Remove this cancer from his body, God. Would you extend his life? That simply is what I'm asking for. That you would extend his life. Give him more years here on this planet. That, God, he would have more fruitful service for you and caring for these kids and bringing the kingdom to that region in Kenya. Lord, you know we believe very much guy in that area, Lord. He's a key player. And uh, you've granted him authority, and uh, you've granted him leadership there. So, Lord, we ask for your hand of protection over him, the healing of his body. And, Lord, we pray for our sister Stacy this morning, 
we thank you for the successful surgery on Friday that she had. I'm so glad things went so smoothly, so well, Lord. And now we just have this one little complication. God, we say, you take care of it. She's in your hands. We ask, Lord, that this vision would clear up. And I pray even that by the time Nick and the girls get home today, they discover Stacy's vision is much, much, much improved. Father, I pray for our, our students, our kids, as they go back to school this week. We ask for your protection over them as well in the school. Lord, I pray that you would grant them an awesome week. I pray, Lord, that uh, I do, I pray for our schools. I pray, Lord, that I pray that they would become places where young people are educated, but also, Lord, young people pray that you would raise up a generation of young people in this day who would be sold out to you, sold out, willing to even die if necessary for the cause of your gospel. Lord, I pray. Would you do this? I pray, Jesus, too, for our time now in the Word. Holy Spirit, you're the one that wrote this, so could you help us to understand it? And I pray that you would give us courage to, as well, live it out. So, Lord, I pray you take my mouth, speak through it. Let it be your words, God, not mine. And uh, amen to that. We ask this in Jesus' name. So, this morning is the first. By the way, Happy New Year. Um, we're uh, just let me make it official. So a lot of people ask uh, throughout the years, what's you know what's New Rivers membership process, and uh, you're now starting it. So the beginning of the month in January, you're no longer a member. We ask you to pray, seek the Lord about whether or not God's calling you to participate with what He's doing in New River in 2015. And then on the last Sunday of January, we have what we call Covenant Sunday, Covenant Weekend. I guess I, I got to get used to that with the Saturday night service. So the last weekend in January, Saturday night and Sunday morning, we'll have Covenant Weekend where we will sign our fellowship covenant for another year. And um, basically what we say is we believe, you know, I, a lot of churches do this deal where, you know, once you're a member, you're always a member. And I think I'm still a member of the church where I grew up, um, you know, but I haven't been there in 20 years, 30 years. And just still there on the rolls somehow and then we do this inactive member active member thing which really inactive member is like an oxymoron I don't even know if that's possible then you're not really a member if you're inactive you know so in order to rectify that as a church it's always been our habit to um, to just every year re-up for another year so you have in your programs the covenant Sunday our covenant uh, our fellowship covenant it's a little bookmark size version of it that's what we're signing on the last weekend of January. So, you know, you have the chance to read through that, ask questions, talk about it in your life group. If you're part of a life group, give me a call this week. I, you know, this month, would love to talk with you about different things in there. If you have a question, please, now's the time to uh, discuss it, debate it, pray about it, ask why, all that kind of thing. So happy to meet with you and talk with you. Happy to have emails back and forth with you on it. However you want to communicate, we can do it. But that's what's happening this month. And um, like I say, it's, if you're a member, you're a part of what God's doing here. I really believe that God calls us together. Um, the word in the Bible, the Greek word in the New Testament for church is ekklesia. It means called out and called into. It has these two parts of it. Called out of the world but called into something else and so there's this element of being called you know it's not just about well I like that youth program and I like their worship and I like that where that Doug is a nice pastor and it's not about that it's about God calling you to participate with what he's doing in and through this body of people and I don't know about you, but I can't really plan 50 years in advance, but I can be thinking about 2015. 
So be praying about this year. Is God calling you to be a part of what he wants to do in and through New River Church in 2015? That's what this season is about. So that's that. So that being said, our theme this year is fan the flame. And the servant team really, we, we see two things, maybe at least two things that really God wants to do in this church body this year. One is that we as a church body, as individuals in this body, each have a greater baptism encounter with the Holy Spirit. You need more of God's Spirit in your life and mind. That's the first one. Second one is that you would discover how it is that God has uniquely gifted, created you, and called you so that you can participate with what he wants to do in and through you to expand his kingdom in this world. I'm convinced that God's calling you, and he's calling you to greatness. He's not calling you to mediocrity. That's not the way our God operates. He's calling you to greatness, and I guarantee that he's calling you to something that would scare the bejeebers out of you if you really saw it. I'm positive of it. And he's, call, he's wanting to stretch you. He's going to stretch your finances. He's going to stretch your time. He's going to stretch your sleep. He's going to stretch your health. He's going to stretch everything about you in order for you to fulfill that call. I guarantee it. It's not a call that you can do in your own strength and your own power. I'm convinced of it. So if by the end of this year, you get a better sense of what that is and you're moving towards it, then yay, we met our goal. And so there's two things that we want to do in terms of teaching. We're going to start from now until Easter Sunday, and we're going to talk about the spiritual gifts and uh, what those are. Start this morning. And then after Easter, we're going to launch into a series on the book of Acts. You know, I love to go verse by verse. That's one of my favorite ways to teach. So starting in Easter, from Easter, we're going to start with the book of Acts and work our way through that whole thing for the rest of the year, for sure. And in the process, Lord willing, you and I will have those two things will be accomplished, a greater baptism in the Spirit and a better understanding of the call of God on your life and our lives together as a church. So there we go. Good? That's the scoop. So this morning, John chapter 7, I wanted to start there, and I'm going to apologize right up front to Katie. Katie, you're awesome. However, I'm going to be buzzing through a bunch of different Bible verses, and if she happens to put the wrong Bible verse up there, it's not her fault, it's all mine, just so you know. Thank you. You're beautiful, too. So here we go. John chapter 7, 37 to 39. This is our, this is our text as a church that this is our church verse. We, we call ourselves New River Community Church from this verse. John chapter 7. 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood, Jesus stood, and he said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Everyone, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus stands and he makes this astounding promise. If you believe in me, then from within your very being, from the pit of your soul, will flow rivers of living water, life-giving water, bringing refreshing and joy, healing, strength, hope, help to the world around you. Living water flowing out of you. And then John as he's writing this, tells you what that living water is. Who is it? John says, well, by this he meant the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, at this point, had not come upon believers yet. Jesus is preaching. And then Jesus, later on in John chapter 14, Jesus is at the Last Supper, and he makes this promise to his disciples on the last night of his life. John chapter 14, verse 18, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Obviously, the disciples were worried that Jesus was leaving. Where are you going, Jesus? What's this going to look like? And Jesus goes, I'm not going to leave you alone. 
I'm going to, in fact, elsewhere in the same text, Jesus says, it's better for you that I go away. Because if I, because see, Jesus was here in the body, just one guy. So he was bound by space and time. Jesus ascended back to heaven after his death and resurrection. And now the Holy Spirit of God can dwell within the heart of every single man, woman, child who believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Jesus says, it's better for you that I go away. And then in Acts chapter 1, over in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is about to leave. He's, he's resurrected. You know, he spent 40 days walking with people, talking with people, eating with people. And now he's ready to ascend back to heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus says, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, John baptized you with water, but I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus made this astounding promise, friends, that, like I said a couple weeks ago, God rules the universe alone. He doesn't run it alone. Amazingly, in his infinite wisdom, he's chosen to, to dwell within the heart and life of every believer in Jesus Christ and to work through them. Living within you as a believer of Jesus Christ is the third person of the Trinity. Man, that's a game changer. It's a game changer. So who is this Holy Spirit? Let me just you know, I say it this way. There's the two most important sermons you could ever hear in your life. The first most important sermon is, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Second most important sermon is this morning. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? The two most important sermons that you could ever hear. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is he? Well, Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 1 we discover the Holy Spirit was at creation. In Genesis 1, he's hovering over the surface of the deep. The Holy Spirit is involved in the whole creation process. In, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, look at the way it ends. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Look at the grace of our Lord Jesus love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You have all three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, represented in the same sentence. Who's the Holy Spirit? He's God. It, it's grievous when I hear people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. He is not an it. He is a person. He's a third person. He's not like an afterthought. He's every bit God. He's equal to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's equal to them. In fact, in Luke chapter 12, verse 10, Jesus said this, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. You see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is like, man, you can trash talk me, but don't, don't trash talk the Holy Spirit. You blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you're not forgiven. Done. Out of the pool. Over. Isn't that amazing? Jesus raises the ante. Jesus is like, listen, the Holy Spirit is that important. He is not just some extra, you know, that you, he's not like the, the prize in the, in the happy meal, you know, that you can live without. He is the meal, Jesus says. And he's so important that you blaspheme against him. I mean, serious, serious trouble. So this is who the Holy Spirit is. He's a third person of the Trinity. He actually wants to live within you and me. He wants to work through you and me to accomplish the purposes of God in this world. Amazing. So how does that work? How do I, how do I know the Holy Spirit. 
there's three things. First is this. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Every person who's accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Look at what Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says. Having believed, there you are, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Having believed, the moment that you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, having believed, you were marked by a seal. Who's the Holy Spirit? You know, the seal was the king's, was a little wax seal, right, on a letter. And the king would put a signet ring there, and it's a uniquely marked that says, this letter is mine. The Holy Spirit is God's seal on your life and mine. God says, this man, this woman, they're mine. And he's a deposit guaranteeing the, your inheritance. Check this out. If the de- Look, at a deposit is a down payment, right? It's not the whole payment. If the down payment of your inheritance is the third person of the Trinity, can you imagine how great your actual inheritance is? I mean, I don't even want to take it any further than that because my mind can't go there, but it's mind-blowing. If the deposit of your inheritance is the Holy Spirit, then what's the actual inheritance? Wow. Every single believer of Jesus Christ has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, we read this, that God also testified to it, and the it is salvation. God also testified to your salvation with signs, wonders, various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So the salvation, how do I know that I'm saved? Well, God backs that up with signs, wonders, various miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's evidence of salvation in a person's life because the Holy Spirit is not inactive. He's active. And if he's at work in your heart, I guarantee you he's changing things. I guarantee you he's changing things. He's not, and he's not just rearranging furniture. He's throwing out the old furniture. He's bringing new ones in. I mean, that's how he operates. I can tell you my life has never been the same <laughs> since, since Jesus first ambushed me in 19. 19- So this is the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has been sealed. Every Christian has them. And every Christian can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at, look at what he says here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You know what debauchery is? It's the slippery slope. One bad thing leads to another bad thing leads to another bad thing. It's the, it's, it's the, your skis are waxed, you know, it's the slippery slope. Friends, I've seen alcohol ruin too many people's lives, you know. Frankly, my own opinion is, why, why would I want it when I got a perfectly good glass of iced tea? I don't get it. I mean, I've never seen anybody's life ruined by iced tea, but I've seen plenty of lives ruined by alcohol, Right? He goes, don't, don't get drunk. It just leads to one more thing after another, after another, after another. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse. He says, but instead, no. Why would you want to have that when, why would you want to have that spirit when you can have the Holy Spirit? Follow that? And people love this spirit because, you know, I feel invisible. I feel invincible. I get more bold. Man, whoo. I'm good with the ladies. This spirit, look at this. Bold, invincible, strong, filled with hope. Come on. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The verb be filled with the Spirit is a verb that it means this. It means to be continuously filled. To be continuously filled. It's not a one-time thing. It's a constant every day all day kind of filling. In other words, I wake up this morning and I go, Holy Spirit, fill me. I'm ready for the day. And then tomorrow at work, you're going through the day. Breathe it in, Holy Spirit. I need to be filled with you. 
you're walking into the meeting at the boardroom, you know. Holy Spirit, I need to be filled with you. It's a constant being filled with the Holy Spirit so that I'm prepared for whatever takes place. I'm under his control. I'm under his leadership constantly, 24-7. Be being filled. Be continuously filled with the Spirit. And we see it at work in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, the first Christians, it says this, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So they're filled with the Spirit, and then there's this obvious manifestation. They're speaking in tongues. Verse Chapter 4, verse 3 of Acts, the same Christians, same ones. Later on, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So the same Christians, in one instance, they're filled and they're speaking in tongues. A little while later, they're filled and they're speaking the word of God boldly. Follow this? Acts chapter 13, verse 52. Paul and Barnabas, part of that same group, same group, but specifically to Paul and Barnabas. They are kicked out of the city of Pisidian Antioch. They're expelled, ran into some trouble there. And the Bible says that the disciples meaning Paul and Barnabas, were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Again, same group of people filled multiple times. Each time they're filled, something else happens. The first time, they're speaking in tongues. Second time they're filled, speaking the word of God boldly. Third time they're filled, filled with joy. What do you conclude? Well, I conclude this, that the filling of the Holy Spirit is obvious. I mean, some people, some people say to be filled with the Spirit, you have to speak in tongues. I'm not so sure that you have to. You get to. That's a great, it's a great, beautiful thing. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only manifestation of the filling of the Spirit. I'm just saying if you're filled with the Spirit, there's an obvious change. Something obvious is going to happen. And the second is it's distinct from your salvation. It's not just your salvation. Your salvation is awesome. But the filling of the Spirit is something that's distinct. It comes with your salvation that you get, my friend, to live in and experience and encounter. And then on top of that, not only do we get to be sealed with the Spirit, not only do I get to be filled with the Spirit, but I also get to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I know this is new ground for some of us. And I'll be upfront with you. A lot of people might even disagree with my thoughts on what it is to be baptized with the Spirit, so you're allowed to do that if you want. But here's my conviction about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is something um, incredibly powerful and special in your life and mine. Jesus, uh, John the Baptist spoke about it first. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Baptist recognized a difference between his baptism and Jesus' baptism. Now follow this. John the Baptist goes, my baptism is a baptism in water. It's a baptism of repentance. To repent means to change. That's all it means. Fancy word, change. So John the Baptist goes, here's my, here's my baptism. You're changing. You're repenting. So you go into the water, and it's a beautiful symbol. My old me is dead. I'm risen again to a new me. The old life is buried new life risen again, right? That's what that is. It's a symbol. That's all water baptism is. And John goes, that's my baptism. It's a baptism of repentance. You're ready to change. You're ready to demonstrate the change in your life, that you're turning over a new leaf and you're directing your life towards God. Get baptized. Boom, boom, new life. John goes, after me comes another one. His baptism is not just getting wet. His baptism is with the Holy Spirit and with fire, he goes. 
you know, fire purifies, fire cleanses, fire heats up, fire empowers, fire changes things. Fire can get crazy even sometimes, right? Fire. And John the Baptist recognized that when Jesus came, Jesus is not just going to baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That in the same way that in John's baptism, you get wet, right? I start off dry, get wet. That in that way, Jesus would baptize me in the Spirit, meaning I start off one way, baptizing the Spirit, it's obvious there's a change. And this baptism is distinct. Let me show you some examples from the Bible. In Acts chapter 8, verses 14 to 19, you have these Christians, you have a cool thing happening in the city of Samaria. Philip is there, and he's sharing Jesus with the Samaritans, and a whole bunch of them get saved, and it's pretty cool. And Peter and John come up from Jerusalem to check things out in Samaria. They want to, they, they hear the word, you know, they hear what's happening. They want to see it for themselves. So they come up, and it says that these people had been saved, but they had not received the Holy Spirit yet. Now, wait a second. Remember, the moment you're saved, you're sealed with the Spirit. Remember that from Ephesians chapter 1? I said that, right? That's biblical. These people were saved, so they had the Holy Spirit, but yet Acts 8 says they hadn't been filled with the Spirit. There was something else they were missing. And so Peter and John laid hands on them, and they received the Spirit, and boom, they're all speaking in tongues, and they're prophesying, and there's stuff happening. And it's so obvious that in the crowd... There's this magician, this guy named Simon. And I don't know, I always picture Simon. He's like that magician in the Frosty the Snowman Christmas, you know, cartoon. You know, the, I've got to get busy, busy, busy. I love that cartoon. Just got to see it last month. The annual, right? Anyway, so here's Simon. He's this magician, and he's part of this group. And he is so impressed by all that's happening that Simon walks over to Peter, and he's like, hey, Peter. You know, he slips him a 20. Hey, uh. Can you teach me how to do that trick? And Peter rebukes him. He goes, you can't pay for this trick. This is not a trick. This is God at work in people's lives. And he rebukes him for it, and Simon repents of it. My point is simply this. These guys had been saved. Peter and John lays hands on them. They receive the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit. And the baptism of the Spirit is so obvious, it's so impressive that this Magician Simon tries to pay to get it. He mistakes it. That's the first example. Here's another example. The example of, the, of Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 9, verses 17 to 22. Remember Saul? Saul was the Osama bin Laden of his day. He was the Jewish terrorist. He was. Went around killing Christians, persecuting Christians right and left. He was a man on a mission. He was bent on destroying the church as best he could until he's on his way to Damascus to mess with more Christians. And who met him on the road to Damascus? Jesus Christ. Saul falls to his knees. He's blinded by the light. In that moment, he's converted. That's when he's saved. He goes blind into the city of Damascus. He spends three days inside this house, fasting and praying. And then God leads this other Christian, a guy named Ananias, to come and lay hands on him and pray for him. And the Bible tells us that when Ananias did, Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then a couple of verses down state that shortly thereafter, within days, literally days, Saul's, the, the scales and Saul's eyes fell off immediately. He's no longer blind. And then within days, Saul is speaking the word of God boldly, and he's arguing for Scripture so profoundly, so deeply, that the Christians are like, whoa, isn't this the guy that just got saved like two days ago? And now he's making these incredible arguments, solid arguments, you know, defending the faith? How does this happen? The Holy Spirit. We've, I've seen that 
I don't want to embarrass him, but I've seen it in our friend Nick. A lot of people are amazed that Nick's only been a Christian seven years. You say, how does a guy, like he's been a Christian for 30 years or more. I remember when Nick first gave his heart to Christ, it was just a few months. The understanding and the ability to understand and grasp God's word far exceeded people that had walked with Christ for many, many years. How? It ain't him. Man, I know Nick. It was the spirit of God at work in his heart. The same thing that happened to Saul. He, in just a matter of days, the baptism of the spirit, this guy begins debating and arguing and defending Jesus Christ in ways that just astounded his superiors. Third example, Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 7. I love this one. So now Paul, he's gone from Saul to Paul, and now he's the Apostle Paul, serving as a missionary, and he comes into the city of Ephesus. So now this would be years later after what we just talked about. Comes into the city of Ephesus, and he meets disciples there, the Bible says. Disciples. They were Christians. Okay? They were disciples. The Bible doesn't use the word disciples lightly. They were disciples. They had given their hearts to Christ. They were following Jesus. They were disciples. And Paul asked him this question. So have you received the Holy Spirit? And these guys go, we never even heard there was a Holy Spirit. That's, a, that's amazing. They're Christians, sealed with the Spirit, but were ignorant of the Holy Spirit's working. They didn't know it. They'd never heard about the Holy Spirit. So Paul informs them. They get baptized in the name of Jesus. They get baptized in the Spirit. Boom. It's amazing. My point is simply this. The baptism of the Spirit, my friend, is obvious, and it's distinct. It's not just the day you got saved, although it could happen the moment that you get saved. I wouldn't deny that. But it's distinct from your salvation. It's another event that takes place in a Christian's life when they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you, you're never the same again. So what's the difference between filling of the Spirit and baptism of the Spirit? I'll illustrate it this way. The filling of the Spirit, filling. Like a cup, it's something that God does within. He's transforming my character to become more and more like Jesus. It's the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. He's making me more and more like Jesus from the inside out. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, key word is the word on, right? Remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come on you. Baptism is external, isn't it? You go into our baptismal tank behind the screen here, you go in, it's, you get wet on the outside. Baptism of the Spirit is external. The Spirit comes on you for a specific purpose, to accomplish God's mission, to accomplish God's purposes. And here's the reason why many Christians don't experience the baptism of the Spirit. Frankly, they don't need them. I mean, let's be honest. Are you doing anything that requires greater strength, greater resources than what you already have? Anything at all? I mean, any, any area there where you're stretched, pushed to the limit, absolutely dangling out on the edge and if God doesn't come through you're screwed. I mean anything any area there where see what I mean? I see in the book of Acts this people they are living on the very edge. They're getting beat every day. They're being persecuted. They're being put to death. They're losing their houses. They're losing their families all for the sake of Christ. They're pushing pushing, pushing. The Roman Empire was absolutely transformed by these early Christians within 30 years. You know how astounding that is? That within 30 years' time, the message of Jesus Christ went from Golgotha's hill to Caesar's household in Rome. Do you know how huge that is? That it would go from nothing to the halls of Rome. And that, that in fact, people said of Paul and Barnabas, these guys are 
turning the whole world upside down. That was, and that was a complaint, by the way. That was not a compliment. They were complaining that Paul and Barnabas were turning the world upside down. The Roman Empire was transformed, you know how? By slaves, not by preachers, by slaves, friends. Study your history. Ordinary men and women who had no rights, none whatsoever. Slaves, bottom of the barrel, bottom of society. And yet, you know what they would do? They, they get sold from this household to that household. And now I'm taking Jesus over here. And as I'm washing the clothes or hoeing the field or picking the grapes, I'm talking about Jesus. I'm loving slaves sacrificially giving of themselves to love and care for those that were injured and hurt. So much so that Rome stood up and took notice. What is it with these guys? What is it with these ladies? Friends, to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I need to be in a place where I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you see it throughout the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit came on people for specific purposes. Samson, David, Samuel. I mean, the Spirit comes on them so that they can accomplish God's purposes. So, for you and me to experience the baptism of the Spirit, first, we've got to be in a place where we're ready and willing to get stretched to the limit. And then we say, yes, Lord, I surrender all. We sang those songs a moment ago. Come on. Sometimes I sing those songs and I think, do we really mean what we're singing? Because they are, they are very life-changing songs. Do I really mean it, God? I know this. Friends, if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit, I ask you, have you been filled with the Spirit? Are you ready to be baptized in the Spirit? Are you, ready to, are you ready to accomplish great things in the kingdom of God for His purposes? Things that would scare you to no end. Things that God would stretch you and put you in places that you never dreamed you'd be. But there, friends, man, when your hair's on fire, when your heart's pounding out of your chest, and you don't know exactly, you don't know I get that. Luke, Jesus said this. He said, he said, don't you fathers, he goes, you fathers give good gifts. You know how to give good gifts to your children? He says, how much more? Let me read it here. I have it written. If Luke eleven thirteen, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Isn't that great? I mean, my kids ask me for things. I love giving them good gifts. I love blessing them. How much more, he says, does your Heavenly Father love it to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Hmm. So we ask. We say, Holy Spirit, come. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me this year. Lord, I want 
may it be said of this church, not that we're a great church, but that we're a church with a great God. May it be obvious, Lord, that your thumbprint is on us, that everybody would say, what is it with those boneheads? How do, how do they get this? And Lord, our only answer is you. Lord, may we surrender to you, to your will, to your way as a church. We're not interested in being a club. We're not interested, Lord, in just being religious and going through motions. God, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty and I'm desiring to be right smack in the middle of where it is that you're moving. that by year's end, each one of my friends and I had a baptism in the Spirit, Lord, that they will know your call in their life and be living that out with boldness, with clarity, with courage, with faith. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that you didn't leave us as orphans. You didn't leave us alone. As we uh, close here this morning, you know, I just want to give you the opportunity to receive the Holy Spirit. Plain and simple. That uh, you come and you say, you know, I'd like to receive a fresh filling of the Spirit. I'm not going to define what that looks like. I learned a long time ago, I don't put the Spirit in a box because He's God. <laughs> but I do know that He's eager to meet you here. I do know that. I do believe in what he said, that he gives the spirit to those who ask him. So all I got to do is ask. So would you stand and let's sing as we close. And the altar's open if you'd like to receive prayer, if you want to pray with me.